It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. On this episode of the It's Going Down podcast, we speak with a member of Colorado Springs Anti-Fascists about the history, which has now been placed center stage on the popular podcast series Alphabet Boys that looks at how the FBI used informants during the George Floyd uprising in the Denver, Colorado area. But as our guest explains, the FBI use of informants during the George Floyd protests was only the latest example of government agencies engaging in surveillance, infiltration, and repression of grassroots left-wing movements in the Denver area. This includes surveillance of groups like the American Indian Movement, infiltration of socialist organizations and community spaces, and even the placement of informants within tenant union organizations. During our discussion, we also talk about attempts by Colorado Springs anti-fascists to call out undercovers, how informants attempted to push back on their outings by attacking those exposing them, and the relationship between authoritarian politics and state actors. And for a deeper dive of events discussed in this podcast, check out the show notes for this episode, which includes lots of links. Let's get into it. Hi there, uh, my name is Violet. They, them. Uh, I'm a member of Colorado Springs Anti-Fascists. So today we're going to be talking about the broader context that's now been put to podcast form in the show, The Alphabet Boys, on iHeartRadio, I believe. Uh, there's a new series that talks about the infiltration of various groups in Colorado Springs and the surrounding area, largely around the George Floyd uprising. We're going to be talking about sort of the larger context that this was something that happened before the George Floyd uprising sort of kicked off. So where do you want to start? Yeah, so I think I can talk a little bit about, um, you know, we can sort of summarize what's been, what's kind of come out from the Alphabet Boys podcast um, about Mickey Windecker, who is this FBI uh, infiltrator in the uh, George Floyd uprising in Denver in 2020, and then maybe sort of expand out on the um, historical context, as well as like some of the stuff the podcast kind of misses or, um, you know, just hasn't included. That sounds great. Let's do that. So just tell us real briefly, if people haven't been tuning in, what is the Alphabet Boys? What does it cover? And sort of what is the general thrust of the show so far? Yeah, so basically in 2020, um, there was a guy, a white guy, uh, who showed up to the George Floyd uh, you know, uprising protests in Denver named Mickey Windecker. He was this kind of stocky guy who uh, like, would wear like camo jackets and smoke a cigar and would wear a GoPro around to these uh, protests. And basically, uh, 
Trevor Aronson, who's previously report previously uh, reported on the Intercept, um, was able to get like confirmation that this guy was working for the FBI, um, and entrapped. We know for sure entrapped one guy, um, one activist, and from sort of our knowledge at Colorado Springs anti-fascists, um, we believe he's linked to actually a number of other arrests. And his whole story is pretty interesting. He stuck out like a sore thumb at these protests. Um, but unfortunately in Denver, there was so little radical infrastructure that there like wasn't security culture uh, trainings going on. Right. There weren't many people that were experienced on the streets telling people like, you know, if somebody tries to get you to buy a gun for them, like, don't do it. They're probably a cop. Right. And so he was able to surveil the sort of protest scene in Denver, particularly this. There was like kind of two scenes. There was like folks that kind of were following the party for socialism and liberation around and as well as there was a protest encampment outside of the governor's governor's mansion in denver and he was more at this uh, protest encampment with those folks you know when we first noticed him we got really concerned because he just like i said stuck out like a sore thumb he had a gopro on which is an immediate red flag you know at that time we were putting out you know, telling everyone to read in defense of smashing cameras and all this stuff about how you need to protect yourself from journalists as well as like digital operational security because that, you know, they'll document you in ways that like prosecution might use to charge you later on. So Mickey started showing up to these protests, uh, barking orders at people, uh, all, you know, with a GoPro on, which was an immediate red flag for us. Um, and, but we didn't have, you know, we had our suspicions about what he was up to, uh, but we're very, very cautious about uh, cop jacketing or bad jacketing people, because that can be extremely dangerous, the movements, um, you know, just basically saying someone's a cop without hard evidence, uh, because it creates a, like a strong sense of paranoia within communities and was like heavily used by the FBI to disrupt organizations like the Black Panther Party and AIM uh, during the, the COINTELPRO era. So we kept hearing reports of people around him getting arrested when he would be fine. And he would tell people that he had Rojavan diplomatic immunity, um, which, you know, for anyone who is familiar with Rojava, right, it's not a state that the U.S. or, or almost anyone recognizes. I mean, it's not even really a state, but it's not something that you can have diplomatic immunity from. There's no Rojavan embassy you can go to and ask for anything. And like you said, it's not even, it's supposed to be a non-state. It's supposed to be an autonomous administration of a territory. There was a direct action uh on September 1st in Denver, where some people went to the, um, the uh, police training center in Denver, um, training academy, and that Mickey was involved in and provided rides to, that like cops were waiting for them there and like immediately arrested, uh, I think, eight people. Um, so the day after we heard that, we issued a statement about Mickey, who, after doing some research, um, you know, we had found that he had a 
conviction for sexually assaulting a minor and some other just like really sketchy stuff but we didn't say he was a cop and then uh about a week later he sort of he sent a message to someone who was sort of an activist in the denver protest scene saying that's up that you assumed without hitting me up and this is someone who shared what we had posted about mickey warning the community about him that's effed up that you assumed without hitting me up and asking well, what's up, but I found who Colorado Springs Antifa is and I'm going to be dealing with them soon. It might make the news. Um, Mickey then accused this person of being a part of our group, which is not true. And then a few days later, that person's home was violently raided. They shot out all the glass with rubber bullets and the person, and the person that Mickey threatened is uh, a pretty like bad OPSEC macho socialist gun bro named Lloyd Porch, who immediately folded and then ratted on another anarchist who was subsequently, subsequently raided and charged with felony involvement for their uh, alleged involvement at a protest in Colorado Springs protesting the lynching of Devon Bailey. I just bring that up to bring to say like these have a kind of chain reaction, this sort of uh, police repression. So to be clear, you're saying that this person's house was shot up by police or shot up by yes. an unknown individual? No, sorry, they were shot. This person was raided uh, by the police. Um, I, I I can't remember. I think Arapahoe County sheriffs. They shot out all their windows with rubber bullets, then raided them, then raided them and arrested them. And then when they were arrested, they they subsequently ratted out another person. And this person that was arrested in this violent raid, was that part of the, I know there were several like PSL members that were caught up in raids and arrests around that time? They weren't part of PSL, but it was like at the same time. It was, it was like kind of part of the same wave. Yeah. The PSL members got raided and I'm pretty sure the same day or the day after this house got raided, but the, the house, the people in this house uh, were not PSL members. And this was just like a coordinated set of ra raids against activists. Some of them were members yeah. of PSL. Some of them are not. And it's believed that this was basically through information that uh, this informant had gotten. Yeah, that's what we think. We don't have hard proof for this specifically. Um, but and it was directly not even related to the George Floyd protests. It sounds like it was other protests. Yeah, the PSL folks were um, uh, raided for uh, involvement in these protests in Aurora for Elijah McClain. Um, but this house, the main person they were targeting uh, was for their involvement in this protest outside of the uh, cop who killed Devon Bailey down, down here in Colorado Springs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Elijah McLean was somebody that was killed by the police in Colorado Springs before George Floyd. He had some medical issues and he was stopped by the police. I believe he had like a skin condition and he had like a mask on to protect his face. And somebody called in the police and basically they just came and, you know, confronted him and ended up killing him. Yeah, it was in Aurora, uh, which is near Denver. Um, and yeah, it happened in, I believe, 2019. And they, yeah, he was killed by, he was stopped by the police. But what killed him was uh, he was forcibly injected with like way too much ketamine uh, by EMTs. And so that's how he was killed. So just to go back to Nikki, in the Alphabet Boys podcast, they really kind of hammer on the fact that he was somebody that had gone over to 
Rajava. And that was sort of his kind of like claim to fame, so to speak. You know, that's how he sort of sold himself to people. I don't know if you can comment more about that. He claims to have fought with Peshmerga, which is separate from YPG. We believe that's true. Like there's photos of him over there. Um, but the thing is, a lot of like chuds and right wingers went over there to fight ISIS, you know, um, just largely out of sort of Islamophobia. So just going to Rojava to fight ISIS doesn't make someone like a respectable revolutionary or, or communist or anarchist. He, he claimed to be a communist. Yeah, so that's, that's, you know, he used that to sort of gain influence. I think, again, from these sort of younger folks who... I, uh, among a lot of these younger folks and new folks that were new to protest scenes um, who didn't, you know, I think weren't super educated on secur security culture and, and perhaps even, you know, what's going on over there in Rojava and the sort of political dynamics. Um, and he particularly wants support from these two people that were involved in the Aurora Young Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, they were also in, uh, like the two sort of main people in the Rocky Mountain Youth Liberation Front. Uh, both of those groups eventually folded because of their involvement with Mickey. Um, but they, I'm not sure their sort of political trajectory, but by the time we called Mickey out, they were these, they, their sort of politics were in what's called the stupid poll which is like this kind of red-brown, reactionary, kind of authoritarian, communist tendency. Um, Stupid Poll is the name of their Reddit board. Um, and so these are people that, you know, will call you slurs and sort of make a gulag jokes and stuff and de defend Xi Jinping. Um, and so they got really upset with us for calling out Mickey and helped Mickey record a video where he's standing in front of an AR, sitting in front of an AR-15, smoking a cigar in front of uh, a PKK flag, um, and I think drinking whiskey and basically like saying, addressed to Colorado Springs Antifa saying, oh, you're cops or you're proud boys and like, I'm a committed communist, blah, blah, blah. One of the guys he entrapped, Zeb Hall, who's a guy he got to uh, buy, illegally buy who Mickey got to illegally buy him a, a firearm, helped set up that video along with these two people from the Aurora YDSA. According to the podcast, he skipped town a few days after recording that. So I don't know, it's pretty pretty interesting. From what we've from what we've heard, he showed up to one more protest after uh, we called him out and blew his cover and then no one saw him again. The people that were there for him were very young and easily impressionable and it sounds like he very much influenced their politics and it's no surprise if you're saying that they sort of ended up in a very reactionary you know borderline fascist uh, authoritarian ideology which of course very much fits in with the vibe that he was putting out it seems like i mean that's my perspective from outside in yeah definitely i mean their 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 argument was like you know, like you all sort of keyboard warriors are, you know, you're just posers. We have the real deal right here. We have someone who actually has fought fascists, right? Who's actually killed people. Um, and he was, you know, he was just lying to them. He, uh, um, on the latest episode of Alphabet Boys, they talk about how he was a snitch in prison. And that's probably where he learned it was valuable. He got paid the 
um, at least $20,000 for informing on, uh, on all these people, including, you know, his little, you know, his YDSA friends, um, who he got, they were getting phone numbers of other activists and giving it to him and he was giving it to the FBI. They were sort of running a sort of surveillance operation, trying to tell people like, oh, the cops are going to be here, right, um, for their march and stuff. Uh, and apparently that information was largely correct, but they were feeding the information they were getting from the activists they were supposed to be helping back to the FBI through Mickey. So again, like a very, what I would describe as counterinsurgency, you know, the the state trying to utilize informants to stop protest activities. Um, but also in doing so, they're disrupting uh you know, groups, they're trying to push people in certain directions politically. Um, and also most importantly, get people set up on, you know, hardcore heavy charges. Yeah. Mickey was involved in entrapping this man named Zebedias Hall, who I said, they basically convinced him to buy a firearm illegally for Mickey. So we know that for sure. He was involved. Uh, it seems like he was involved in another case of, um, where that he got another black activist to like try to assassinate the district attorney, I believe. Um, but that only resulted in like that guy's guns getting taken away from him, which 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 is awful and ridiculous. Um, but fortunately, it didn't lead to jail time for Zebedias Hall. I think he just got probation. Um, and then there's you know the, these sort of trespassing arrests and stuff for protests that he sort of knew what was knew what was happening um and so I, i've seen some stuff online saying like oh it you know he wasn't really successful i think the podcast paints a picture that you know he really only got one guy when he was actually really you know he was we don't really know the full extent of her surveillance and there, there were a lot of arrests around him um that we still don't have information on that i wouldn't be surprised if you know he was uh responsible for in some way so let's kind of back up because in the the podcast they describe him as somebody that just shows up like he said in camo with the gopro you know looking very militant they sort of describe him looking almost like a boogaloo boy or somebody on the far right um and he sort of uh, they you know they make a big deal of playing it out like he drives a hearse and it's full of guns and stuff so i mean how did he get to the point where he's just kind of like flashing these weapons at people and sort of insinuating like hey i can hook you up with this and all this stuff i think misogyny got him uh pretty far uh you know there's a great and unfortunately um evergreen uh, sort of zine article called why misogynists make great informants and a big reason is you know other misogynists or people that are sort of influenced by misogyny if you don't want to go that far will you know trust trust this macho guy who says i know how to kill people i've killed people i'm very dangerous it's essentially a might is right argument right it's we should listen to this guy because he's very strong which is like really irrational but there are a lot of people, especially in these protest movements, that are susceptible to that. One of the people that um, is interviewed on the podcast, one of the activists, is a man named Trey Quinn, who a lot of um, 
he was sort of a leader in that governor's mansion protest camp. He wasn't with the PSL. He's not a, he's not, he's a, he's a hotep. So he's not even a socialist or anti-capitalist. Uh, and, and hoteps are kind of like, kind of like reactionary kind of black nationalists that they can have, uh, they, they're often like pretty misogynistic. And there was a lot of misogyny and uh, homophobia at that protest camp. Um, and so, the podcast kind of frames him as this kind of peaceful protester that got kind of, you know, was being monitored by the FBI. Um, what it doesn't go into say is Trey, Trey was one of the people that was arrested with the, along with the PSL people for the, uh, protest in Aurora. And he actually, uh, snitched on the PSL as well as on anarchists and may have, um, there was a, a young anarchist who was sentenced to six years named Jordan White. Um, and it's, it's possible that Trey snitched on him, uh, because he got charged at that's for, for those same actions. Um, so it's, it's a lot messier than the, you know, the podcast makes it out to be. They also interview, um, a man named Brian Loma who goes by Cut the Plastic. He's a protest live streamer, um, whose footage was used to prosecute Jordan White. Um, this is a guy who you know, says misogynistic things to like people that are like, just like people protesting like women and femmes. Um, he sympathetically covered a neo-Nazi protest of a drag queen story hour, or, or it was like an all-age drag event in Denver that the Goyan Defense League and a group that's like comprised of former traditionalist worker party members put on. It doesn't go into any of that backstory. It's, it's, the the Denver sort of scene has faced, and this is true in Colorado as well, just a lot of repression, which allows a lot of these bad actors to proliferate. A friend who is uh, involved in anarchist organizing in Denver for a while said to me, Denver protest culture has always been a hot mess and has been shredded many times over before 2020. And, but I think that's why he was able to embed himself so so easily. Every couple of years, the feds just wipe any sort of radical institutional memory from the, from the streets. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, well, I think that's a good segue to start talking about uh, how this kind of lines up with what we've seen historically. Let's kind of go back. I know you had some examples that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's, let's go back to, I mean, we can go back to the 80s. Um, in 2003, there was like this big case the ACLU was involved in and a bunch of um, political groups called the spy files where the basically the Denver police department released a ton of documents on all of the activist groups that they had been monitoring for decades. Notably, they had been monitoring the American Indian movement since 1986, or at least had documents of it up until the, um, when the, uh, spy files released in 2003 and in that time, AIM in Colorado hadn't done anything illegal. AIM would, would be set to protest a souvenir shop that was selling potentially stolen sort of native goods. And the cops would gas themselves up talking about how AIM was going to bomb this souvenir shop, just like ridiculous stuff. And Colorado Springs PD worked with, basically surveilled a group of a completely peaceful protest, got a bunch of license plates and sent it to, to uh, cops in Denver uh, for this that ended up in this database of this just completely peaceful protest in 1999 at the Peterson Air Base. So 
and like going back to 1986, right? Like we, you know, we're, we're sort of told that, you know, you know, we think of COINTELPRO as being sort of the 60s and 70s. And so this sort of surveillance is, you know, it's just persistent. It, it, it's never ended. It's just persistent, right? And it increases and it becomes more notable, like, you know, in times of heated conflict, but it is just persistent. And then, so if we fast forward to 2017, Colorado Springs PD, um, two officers from the Colorado Springs Police Department, Metro Vice, Narcotics and Intelligence Division, infiltrated Colorado Springs socialists. And this sort of kind of culminated in some arrests at a march against imperialism, against a really tame, you know, just like a little march in the road with some speeches about how imperialism is bad, right? And they, they arrest, I think they cited five people for failing to disperse, even though they didn't give a, give a dispersal order. And then I think arrested one or two people for failing to show ID. And one of the people they arrested was the, one of these infiltrators. Um, and they sort of drove him off. He didn't go to jail. Eventually, you know, people figured out they were cops and, but they were never seen again. And we never got full IDs of them. And they sort of justified their, in court, they sort of justified it by saying that there was a, one of our first actions as a group when we were sort of very young and didn't know what we were doing was a protest against Milo Yiannopoulos. You know, someone in the plan, in the public planning meeting said that, you know, maybe we could run up the stage and unplug the PA system. And so they used that as saying like, oh, we were planning violence, even though that never happened. It was mentioned once and I think was probably, I think was shot down. Um, but again, it doesn't, matter like the point is doesn't matter if we're just on the road or if we're you know being spicier the the fact it's if we exist right uh they're they're just trying to shut down any sort of left-wing organizing especially in colorado springs and so now if we fast forward to 2020 2021 in a very similar uh infiltration colorado springs pd infiltrated the chinook center which is sort of the main hub of leftist organizing here a number of groups organizing out organized out of the Chinook Center, like the Colorado Springs DSA, which Colorado Springs Socialists actually like merged into over the years. Um, Colorado Springs Tenant Union, Black and Pink, um, and this time instead of the cops from the 2017 infiltration, kind of stuck out. Um, I know some of the sort of anarchists kind of called them out early, but they were sort of defended by some of the tankies involved. <laughs> Um, they kind of stuck out. They were kind of this middle-aged couple. Well, they weren't a couple, but they were pretending to be. Um, the cop they used this time was a younger-looking female with dyed pink hair who uh, named April Rogers, who said she was a sex worker. And that gave her sort of cover to be very private about her personal life, um, as well as I think it gave her kind of a degree of respect in a way. You know, someone who's who has a sort of like black market job. I'm not sure a better word for that, but street cred. Yeah. Street cred. Exactly. The, the case we're talking about right now, this is something that uh, Colorado Springs anti-fascist published an article on and also uh, it's going down, uh, republished it. So you can check that on, check that out on it's going down.org. We'll, we'll link that article to our show notes, but just so people are aware. Also explain again, the timeline of this, because all these events are sort of getting jumbled together. When did this happen? Was this before or after Nikki? So this was actually around the same time as Mickey Windecker. It kind of ended a little after, um, but 
Um, this was, you know, 2020. It started in 2020, um, and, and it ended in 2021. Um, basically April officer April Rogers got really involved in the Colorado Springs tenant union would take their phone that they used all the, all the time to, uh, contact tenants that they were trying to organize. Uh, we had no idea what the police did with that information. Um, but basically in a very similar move as what happened with Colorado Springs socialists, there was a March for housing, uh, in 20, in July, 2021, uh, where the two leaders from the Chinook center took the March off off the sidewalk into the road and then were arrested by Colorado Springs PD. Um, so that's one part of the infiltration. Um, the other part that we published on, because there's kind of a split in the kind of leftist community uh, here, were people not involved in the Chinook Center, or at least like eventually kind of split, who had a protest security group that really didn't do much. It was like four people. One of them was Officer April Rogers. Um, and she tried to get them to illegally purchase firearms for her or also offered to like do something where they would illegally sell guns and then ultimately propose forming a militia separate from their protest group. Two people that we know of whose statements are on our site as well as on It's Going Down, um, they tried to, uh, Officer April Rogers tried to entrap with this. Um, but they did the right thing and they just, you know, they didn't fall into it. They didn't buy her the guns, right? Because they knew it was a huge red flag. She also used a fake voter registration, which is like a felony, but you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that, so the, the tenant union stuff came out in a piece in the Colorado Springs Independent and then ours came out on our site and on it's going down. And so that was happening kind of with a little bit of overlap, a little bit after, uh, what Mickey was doing in Denver. It's not clear if there was, you know, any overlap. I think there might be, but we'll see. To close the gate We are just the police Intelligence is not our forte we be that little piggy gay who need a city to train Cause it take almost eight of us to fucking close up a gate What can I say? Firework go bang all in my face It almost hit me in the head like any nose milkshake Little Tifa, y'all be mean to Mr. Clean, huh? I'm finna back up, call for backup cause we need them Maybe if we had like three more on the scene We close the fence, no offense But I think the fence is resisting arrest Ay. Someone get my baton, I'm finna be there for breaking the law You better comply when I play God, you better comply when I play God And we finna go crash your music scene cause y'all ain't playing no nickelback Hey yo, hold up my mans, I'm tryna get the donuts out of your pack, pack, pack. We don't know how to close a we are just the police, intelligence is not our forte
Hey yo, listen, it's the end of the system They try to hold us down, but now we have risen It's your decision to get rid of the fiction They told nothing but lies Indoctrinated you in school and you just woke up surprised Because you realized that everything you thought was the truth Wasn't shit, why you think I stopped watching the news? It's the apocalypse, baby, and why you think I'm celebrating? It's the end of a nation that has its origins in hatred They gon' try to play their tactics, have you living in fear I keep my middle finger up in the air, tell them I'm here. It's the shift in paradigm, call that shit what you want But the peasants finna rise to the top, let's go hey, hey. We don't know how to close a game We are just the police, intelligence is not our forte hey. Hey, yo. The pen is mightier than the sword, yours. Cause with this pen I can make a million motherfuckers get inspired to go grab a sword, you feel me? Power in numbers. Let's fucking rise, man. The fuck are y'all waiting for? What the fuck are y'all waiting for, man? Hey yo, what the fuck are y'all waiting for? It's time to go, man. For real. Hey, yeah. I got bops, bro. Talk about how, you know, anti-fascists really expose all this stuff first. And that, you know, the podcast is really just playing catch up to things that we already know about yeah well so you know like i said we called out mickey in i think september 2020 we didn't call him a cop uh and i think we waited a couple of weeks for that after there was sort of there was after basically after that raid happened after he sort of threat threatened he said i know who's behind colorado springs antifa and something big's going to happen and it's going to be on the news and then that house got raided um, again, that, that house had literally no connections to us. Um, it, it wasn't in Colorado Springs, uh, but um, that sort of got him, that kind of like killed his infiltration career. But we didn't actually have hard proof that he was a cop until, or he was, he was actually on FBI payroll until uh, this podcast and the article came out. Do you think that his goal was to destroy Colorado Springs anti-fascist, which, from our understanding, largely puts out, uh, you know, runs a Twitter account of, you know, telling people about, you know, fascist movements in that area and puts out a analysis and reporting on that. Um, do you feel like that was his goal? Like he he actually thought that the person that the police were going to attack was somehow connected to that group. I think he might have thought that. Um... But I think also the point of that was just to retaliate against people that were speaking poorly of him. And I think also that was around the same time he made those videos calling us out or whatever. I think that was also trying to shore up his kind of supporters who, at least according to the podcast, were starting to dis like a lot of people were starting to distance themselves from him because we, we have a really good reputation. Uh, in Colorado, like in the sort of leftist activist radical community. Um, and so when we put that out, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, you know, took it seriously. Do you feel like the goal of all that was in part to go after Colorado Springs anti-fascists? Um, again, this would sort of mirror uh, other attempts throughout the country to attach explicitly anti-fascist groups doing explicitly anti-fascist organizing, which is countering the far right, uh, sort of tie them to or go after them under the guise of 
pushing back against the George Floyd, George Floyd uprising. Yeah, I think um, I'm not 100% clear on his motivations. I think his motivations are mixed. I think part of it is just for, for, for doing, the, doing the sort of infiltration in the first place as well as going after us. Um, you know, I think retaliating against us, I think in part was just sort of machismo. You know, this guy can't handle criticism. Um, he has a history of doing stuff like that. Uh, he also, you know, made good money, uh, being a snitch. Um, but I think also there's an ideological component that I think probably also fueled him fighting with the Peshmerga against ISIS, which is he viewed himself as fighting terrorism. Right. Um, and so I think he's just like kind of a chud and, you know, wanted to, mess with Antifa and get paid to do it and mess with Black Lives Matter and get paid to do it. Out of all these examples, what do you feel like some of the lessons are in this thing, in this stuff? You know, cause I feel like you all were kind of in this really uncomfortable position where you kind of had to go to the wider movement and say like, look, you know, <laughs> there's some unsavory characters out here and we need to be very on guard against them. Uh, which is hard because, there's so much of that gets thrown around, especially in moments of, you know, there's a lot of chaos, you know, there's stuff in the streets unfolding, you know, there are people getting arrested, you know, there's already a little bit of that out there, like people calling each other different names or people falling out. Um, so there's also a drive by a lot of folks to kind of like, you know, keep everybody together and, and keep things going. And something like this really does kind of like put a wet blanket on things and, and causes people to kind of like, you know, hold on, like, let's step back here and really think about things. Uh, I'm curious, you know, if you learned anything out of all these experiences about how to go about doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, I feel like we are, our group is more inclined, has more of a history of sort of calling out people that are ostensibly on our side than other groups um but we put a lot of thought into that we it's whether it like people are doing like material harm to other folks in the movement um or you know are just yeah just just causing material harm um and so with mickey that was absolutely the case we've done similar with uh, black hammer who was you know this this anti-semitic cult that you know has done tons of harm to a lot of a lot of people um especially black folks and i think the lessons like i said there really wasn't infrastructure to get people sort of like trained up on security culture going into 2020 i don't think that's something that could that you could sort of go back and change there was just so many people that flooded in after there was so little like radical infrastructure that existed. Um, but going forward, you know, I think we really need to be doing security culture workshops and really talking about security culture. Um, and that means that means not just, you know, you signal, um, but, uh, and, you know, don't, you know, brag about stuff that you wouldn't want read back to you in court, but, like, hey, there's this, like, for example, with Mickey, um, he, 
was asked repeatedly not to, for one march, drive behind it to kind of protect them from cars. Um, but he did it anyway, you know, saying like, hey, there's this guy that's like, keeps violating our boundaries, you know, that's also a very important part of security culture. Um, because a lot of these snitches and abusers, the biggest red flag is machismo, it just, you know, being, being this sort of tough guy who can, you know, harm people, right? Not that's not to say every guy who's like that is a bad actor, but in our experience, there's a big pattern of this. Um, and even if those people aren't necessarily bad actors, like with Lloyd, you know, under pressure, they might flip, right? Um, so that was a big red flag. The fact that he had a GoPro on is a huge red flag, right? I think people got immune to that or didn't really see it as weird because we we exist in a culture where like live streaming protests is normal and i think a lot of people you know viewed their role in these protests as like we need to show the world how bad this is and and in an extent like that's the case but you don't need live streamers to do that you know um also just another huge red flag is people encouraging you to do crimes like that's a huge huge red flag um especially people you don't know that well. I think in these, like, especially at these protest camps, like these are people that were going out every day and getting tear gassed and stuff. And you, in those situations, you know, whether it's George Floyd or Occupy or um, Standing Rock, you know, you build, you feel really close to the people that you're sort of in the trenches with. Um, but that can be really easily exploited uh, by these bad actors. So, you know, just just because you you know someone for maybe a month and you've been through a lot of stuff with them doesn't mean there's someone that you can really, really trust. Um, also, anything involving guns, especially someone you don't know any someone you don't know very well, huge, huge red flag. Like if someone's trying to get you to buy a gun for them, like that's do not do it and and talk to people about it that doesn't mean blow it up on social media but talk to people who are like more experienced who are in the movement longer than you like hey this you know you don't you know hey this person is like asking me to buy a gun what for them like what do you think yeah people who disregard your boundaries and security is a huge red flag um also people that say like you know security culture isn't important or doesn't do anything you know the the NSA can read all your messages. It doesn't matter if you use Signal or Keybase or whatever. That's a, another that's another big red flag. Um, again, and these are just red flags. That doesn't mean someone who says that is a cop, but it's just something to make a note of and be careful of. Um, because ultimately this person is telling you to, to have bad security. Um, other just general advice, He's, he got a lot of phone numbers from people. That's like how he monitored people or how he fed information to law enforcement. You know, your phone number, your personal phone number is really easy to track back to your, to your real government identity. So, and I know a lot of people use Signal. Signal is a great app. It's really quick, um, but it's based on your phone number. So if, you know, it may not, it may be end-to-end -end encrypted, but if the person you're talking to on it is an informant, they're going to give that to uh, law enforcement who are going to get copies of all your messages and know your actual identity, right? So there's ways to work around that.
Um, one is to use apps that don't use your phone number. Um, Wire uh, has very good security. Um, it's kind of not a great app, though, in terms of using it. So, same as Keybase. Um, you can also, there's websites, if you search, like, free MS, SMS verification, you can get a signal number that isn't tied to your actual phone number. You have to try a bunch. And you have to make sure you registration lock it after you get one to work. Otherwise, someone will take take the number you're using. Another good recommendation is don't use your real name when doing any organizing. Just just come up with an organizer name. You'll be surprised how easy it is to to get used to it. Um, and then you know if you're talking to an informant because you can't know if so you know we have red flags, but you can't know for sure really until a discovery comes out. Um, you know, and they don't have your phone number, they don't have your real name. Um, and hopefully you haven't told them anything incriminating, you're in a pretty good spot. I'd also say, you know, just stick to anti authoritarian principles. I think a lot of these bad actors, whether it's like infiltrators, or um, like law enforcement, or uh, some of these groups like Black Hammer, uh, that sort of leverage identity to get people to like, change their politics into something really reactionary. Um, do so by getting people to abandon what are normally like pretty good politics. Um, so, you know, don't let people like, you know, trick you into, to, to, you know, thinking that like this sort of like macho tough guy or this like really authoritarian politics is good. It's not, you know, anti-authoritarianism is what's going to save us. Um, also, just be really careful on capitalist social media platforms. Um, the discovery from the Colorado Springs PD infiltration with April Rogers showed that CSPD accessed activist data from Facebook following the 2021 arrests. They obtained a report from Facebook with information about the Chinook Center's Facebook page. The report identified one of the people arrested as the creator of the page and included his registered email address credit card information, and IP addresses. The report also collected the names and comments of individuals who had interacted with the Chinook Center's Facebook content, as well as any photos or video videos posted to the page. So, like, we should probably not be using stuff like Facebook, but if you must for your group, like, you need to take that security really seriously. Um, you know, that means, like, going and buying a burner phone with cash to set up the page. I mean, ideally, like, I mean, we should really be moving away from that and working on more, you know, uh, sort of like actual connections, you know. Uh, but if you want to do a Facebook page or a Twitter page, that's what you have to do. You have to take that security really seriously because, you know, law enforcement can get that like that these days. Enjoying this podcast and want to support It's Going Down so we can continue to crank out more content? It's easy. Go to itsgoingdown.org on your computer or your phone and click the tab at the top or the menu version on mobile that says support IGD and then you can give us a one-time donation or sign up to donate monthly. Without your support, IGD doesn't continue. So if you appreciate our work, please consider supporting us. Again, go to itsgoingdown.org on your computer or your phone and click the tab at the top or on the menu version of mobile that says support IGD. And you can give us a one-time donation or sign up to donate monthly. You can also find the link in our Collectiva social media account and in the show notes of this podcast on itsgoingdown.org. And now, 
back to the show. You know, it's very much a thing like, you know, I want to be cool and uh, not seem like some like what, what noodle in front of these people. Uh, but people really have to understand like, you know, the signs and all this stuff and that this isn't something that people do, <laughs> you know, this is not how people operate. And, and if somebody does approach you like that, uh, you need to not, you need to leave them alone and, and get out of there as, as soon as possible. The other, the other thing that, uh, both of them did Mickey and April Rogers was, um, they were constantly trying to get people's contact information. For April Rogers, she was adding everyone on Facebook. And for Mickey, um, he was getting everyone's phone numbers. So that's another big red flag. So if someone's going around, like, asking for your phone number all the time, you know. I wondered if we could go back. You made a point about, you know, the connection between sort of these cults of personality and authoritarian politics and infiltration. I thought that was a really good point to make, um, you know, especially drawing on the example you brought up black hammer, which like you said, was sort of a reactionary uh, anti-Semitic. It had crossover with the, with the far right. I remember, um, I don't remember the name of the main person that was sort of, it's kind of like um, head of it. But at the end, they were even doing stuff alongside like Gavin McGinnis of the proud boys. Uh, they were sort of, branching into like anti-vax conspiracy theories to like gain support of Trump supporters and stuff like that. Uh, it seemed from the outside looking in before that whole thing collapsed, it seemed like one big grift to me. Like it was just based around grifting people for money, whether they were supporters or people watching, you know, on the internet. Uh, but yeah, talk more about just those politics and those dynamics and how they kind of lined up with infiltration. Yeah. with So Black Hammer, the, the leader of that group is Ghazi Kodzo, who's now in jail um, for like, for like kidnapping, like for kidnapping, like homeless youth in Atlanta, um, as well as some other charges. Uh, but they sort of started as this um, Maoist, uh, you know, Maoist, anti-white groups or, you know, Jay Sakai, uh, settlers sort of politics. So they don't allow white members, but actually they do. And they're sort of supporter group who they, they have white members who they sort of bleed for money. Um, but they bleed everyone for money. Um, and they were, uh, they were originally in Florida and then moved up to Aurora and, you know, they were doing stuff like there was this, uh, protest camp, in 2020, uh, outside of the ICE facility, the ICE jail in um, Aurora. And they would go there and collect, you know, quote, reparations from people that were, you know, fighting ICE, right? Organizing against ICE and collecting reparations from them. Um, you know, a quote, quote, unquote, reparations, like, you know, a $20 bill from someone who's living out of a tent, right? And it, it developed, I mean, it, it basically, either developed or always was a cult and they had, you know, really, you know, they would frame all their, all their talking points in this sort of revolutionary kind of Maoist communist language, but they were, you know, they were doing Holocaust denial and stuff and like doing, you know, they famously were talking about how Anne Frank was a colonizer and like a Becky and all this gross stuff. And they burned copies of Anne Frank's diary. 
Um, and they engaged in, they were very successful here, right? We criticized them pretty early on because they were defending Kyle Rittenhouse, right? He shot up a Black Lives Matter protest, um, spreading anti-vax stuff, spreading Pizzagate conspiracies, it like all wrapped up in, you know, this sort of anti-white malice. And I, and I don't say anti-white as a criticism of that politics. I'm just saying it as a description um, in this sort of revolutionary rhetoric. And they did, um, Hakan Geiger, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, recently wrote a piece in Center for a Stateless Society called Affinity Fraud. Um, and I think Black Hammer is a good example of this, where they said, if you want to support Black people, you want to support Indigenous people, you want to support colonized people, you have to support us, right? We are, we are the sole representatives of those people. Um, and we're able to grift a lot of money and a lot of power off of that. Um, and did a lot of harm, most, mostly to people that fit those groups, like black folks, indigenous folks. They even had like white people that they would convince were indigenous to get them to join. Um, it's just really, really disgusting. Um, and so, and there were, you know, there were anarchists spreading, you know, their propaganda spreading. You know, I remember seeing anarchists in Colorado spreading their propaganda about how the, um, you know, internment camps of Uyghurs in China is a hoax and stuff. So I say that to say, like, we really need to stick to our anti-authoritarian principles. Like, don't let people who are saying, like, I'm a representative, I, like, speak for the entirety of this group, therefore you have to support my horrible politics. Um, you know, don't get tricked by that. And I think, in a way, Mickey did that, because he was saying, like, I'm this hardened, seasoned, anti-fascist communist, you know, I, I fought in Rojava, I fought with the YPG, unlike these sort of, you know, baby black block, back blocks over here. Um, I, th I view that as a sort of a type of affinity fraud. Um, and, you know, you need to be able to see through that might makes right uh, sort of politics, as well as um, the machismo, right? It has no place in our, in our movements. And, you know, if, if we stick to our principles, we should be resistant to that. Yeah, I think we also need to develop the capacity to remove ourselves from from people that have really toxic and bad politics and stuff like that. I don't think there's a problem in removing ourselves and being like, you know, we don't want to work with those people. Like, they're disgusting. Like, I don't care if they're informants or, or what, but I mean, if you're apologizing for genocidal regimes or, you know, burning and Frank books. I mean, that's, that's not a good look and that's not anything that anybody should be associated with. And, uh, people should, you know, call it out for what it is. And, um, yeah, unfortunately there's uh, too long a history of this stuff. And, uh, it's unfortunate that some people get sucked into that, uh, especially in, you know, big upswings and activity and things. Uh, I think again, it speaks to the fact that we need, more more avenues for people to get involved with um while at the same time i also realized that some people do want to join an organization where they kind of get told what to do you know i mean some people are going to gravitate towards that sadly but i think we need more alternatives for people to get involved with uh, where they don't have to 
uh, go along with that, you know, especially if they want to like be involved in something that's like doing actual organizing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. I think in 2020, every, you know, a lot of the anarchists just kind of went along with what these state socialist groups were doing, whether it's, um, PSL or, you know, whoever. Um, and what resulted is they sort of tolerated us at their marches until they didn't right because because we didn't we were you know folks got tired of being peace police or just didn't want it got sick of you know these groups like tolerating their rapists at their marches and stuff and you know instead of building our own infrastructure and our own capacity uh to intervene in politics in a way that actually aligns with our principles um and not just like you know hoping that the tankies will you know, not get mad at us and sort of work with us. You know, we have to, I'm not, I'm absolutely not opposed to working with folks like that on, you know, in certain circumstances, you know, I, I know, actually, I know like a really good, like I have a, I don't know, I know some really good sort of state socialist comrades who do anti-fascist work, but, you know, we engage, we, we need to engage on our own terms, right? Because, our political projects are incompatible, right? This left unity stuff doesn't work, right? So the podcast is out, people are listening to it. What would you say are some of the things that you want to you know, correct or set the record straight on? Or do you feel like uh, the podcast as it is sort of frames it in a, in a either a wrong way or a way that you'd want to expand and correct a little bit? Yeah, I would say, you know, definitely give it a listen. Um, it's really interesting. We're learning a lot from it, you know, because the journalist got a lot of information that that only he's privy to, or like him and the FBI and, you know, prosecutors. Um, but it sort of frames, it sort of frames the FBI's infiltration of the Denver sort of protest movement George Floyd uprising as as this like you know they were basically just like made made things violent and by violent you know I mean like breaking windows and stuff and the, and the reality is it was in Denver it was pretty short but it was an actual uprising I mean it was like there were like there was actually rioting and looting going on and Mickey excuse me Mickey kind of came in after after it kind of settled down a little bit and it was more like activist types it was still very active but it was less of you know the just this really organic uprising of just like everyday people you know and yeah the other thing is like you know just just be mindful when you hear like trey quinn talk um like he, he snitched right and same with brian loma is in my opinion, a kind of snitch because he used his, you know, his live stream footage was used to uh, uh, get someone locked up and he kept live streaming. Like he doesn't, you know, it's not like he was like, oh, oh, that was a mistake. He, he kept doing it. He's this kind of grifter. You know, that, that's what I would say about that. Just kind of take take the sort of assertions and the, and the framing with a grain of salt because it's coming from a liberal lens. This has been the It's Going Down podcast. Check itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, columns, action reports, and news. Go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD, your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.